Several weeks ago, I was out riding my bike. Um, I was actually training for a triathlon at the time, so I was trying to push myself pretty hard when something happened, and it all happened literally in about three seconds. Uh, usually when I'm out uh, riding a bike, and I was way out in the country, a very isolated area, um, if dogs approach me, I can hear them or see them coming, which gives me time to react. But in this situation, before I knew it, I looked down and on my left pedal was a dog, a big dog. Um, I didn't see him coming, he came from behind me. I never heard him coming off and they will bark before they arrive. And then, with him being on my left pedal, what happened next, like I said, was all, all took place in about three seconds. I don't know if he got underneath my bike a little bit or what but it sent me flying over the handlebars and I landed on the pavement. I landed hard. I landed elbow first and then my left side fell as well. Apparently this was a rather aggressive dog because he kept coming at me. So I, as I was lying there on the pavement, I grabbed my water bottle and I began to spray the dog to keep him off of me. Finally, a lady who lived at the house where the dog had come from came out and called the dog off. So with the dog no longer there, I began to take inventory. Um, had road rash on my left side, you know, my elbow was bleeding pretty bad from where I'd hit it on the road. It, my shoulder hurt a lot because it kind of shoved my arm up into my shoulder. My right knee was hurting. There were other things that were hurting as well. But my attention went to my left side, especially my left arm, because by now I was covered in blood from about my shoulder down to my hand because my elbow was bleeding. Um, pretty bad at that point. So I limped up to the house with my bike. The lady saw what had happened. She ran in, grabbed some paper towels, came out, helped me kind of clean up the blood and put it on my elbow, which uh, was, was, like I said, which was bleeding at that point. I told her that I thought I was going to need a ride home. I said, I don't think uh, I can ride my bike. It was broken, you know, a lot of Looked like it was broken pretty good in addition to that. I wasn't sure I could ride it with the way my left arm and shoulder felt at that point. Um, so she said that her husband had a truck and he could give me a ride home. Speaking of her husband, he came out at that point. And he took the dog and he put the dog in the fence. Fence, huh, did I say fence? Hmm. Anyway, when the husband came back, um, he looked at me and he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I don't think I can ride my bike. Your dog got underneath my bike and it caused me to crash. Well, apparently he thought I was blaming his dog or something because he became angry at me. And he swore and he said, well, I can fix this bike. I fix bikes all the time. And he took the bike from me. He said, the only thing wrong with this bike is the chain is off. And he began to put the chain back on. So I pointed out that there were some other things broken. For example, the brake handles, which usually are, you know, up and down, were both sticking out in opposite directions. He grabbed them and he snapped them into place and said, see, they're fine. There's nothing wrong. Let me show you that you can ride your bike. And he got on my bike and he proceeded to start to ride down the road. So I was standing there with his wife and I looked at her and I said, why is he angry at me? And she said, he's not angry at you. He's angry at the dog. He's taking it out on you. And I remember thinking, you know, that's kind of a funny way to deal with anger, isn't he? Isn't it? Well, um, he returned with my bike and you know he told me he really didn't see anything wrong with it and that it could be uh, that i could ride it but i decided at that point you know that maybe it would be best just for me to leave that situation 
It seemed like a rather unstable situation at that point. And, you know, so I decided, I told him, you know what, I'll be fine. I'll just get home on my own. So I kind of walked down the country road uh, by myself with my bike until I was out of sight of the house. I tweaked a few things on my bike to make it rideable, and I rode home. And it was a pretty long ride home. Um, I could usually only use my right hand at that point because of the way my left side was feeling. But at that point, my injuries took precedence over what had happened at that house and with that dog. And uh, make a long story short, I, I'm fine. A few aches and pains still, but other than that, I'm fine. I had to get my bike repaired, and there were a number of repairs to be done. I found out that a couple of the repairs that had to be done were because of the man had fixed my bike for me and actually broken some things in the process. So I ended up paying for repairs, both from the dog and from that man. Now, you know, anger is a very common human emotion, and we can all relate to anger. We're all familiar with anger, aren't we? Especially if we've been wronged. We know how it feels to be angry, just like we saw the guy this morning in the drama sketch. But anger is a tricky emotion. Sometimes it's okay to be angry. Sometimes it's not okay to be angry. And how we handle our anger can make all the difference in the world. But that's so much easier said than done, right? And we can all tend to process anger differently. Some of us internalize it. Some of us just explode when we're angry. Some of us are passive aggressive in our approach to anger. Some of us take out our anger on someone else. Anger also is a secondary emotion. And what I mean by that is this. Usually there is another emotion below the surface that is driving our anger. We just don't know it's there sometimes because we're angry. So if we're really gonna get to the root cause of our anger and diffuse that anger, we actually have to look deeper, look below and see what is driving that anger. So anger is a tricky emotion. Now, we're in the summer series that we're calling Raw, Life Unfiltered. It's based on the book of Psalms in the Bible. And what we see happening in the book of Psalms is people getting real with God. We see some really authentic expressions of emotion, even anger. And there's some really insightful stuff from seeing how the writers of the Psalms dealt with their anger and how they related with God that I think will be beneficial to us as well. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at one of the more unique kinds of Psalms that you can read in the Bible. It's Psalms that have to do with anger. There are situations where people are angry and so they go to God and they say, God, are you going to do something about this? You better do something about this. Someone did this to me, and you need to set things right. And sometimes they even th say things like, God, I want you to wipe them off the face of the earth for what they did to me. Yeah, you think I'm kidding? Just wait. <laughs> You're going to see that this morning. Now, there is a word, a term that Biblical scholars or someone has used to call these kind of psalms. They're called imprecatory psalms. Even the word sounds a little angry, doesn't it? 
you know, imprecatory or something like that. If you don't know what imprecatory means, the word imprecate just means um, to invoke a curse upon or to pray judgment against somebody. That's what an imprecatory psalm is. Hmm. All of us have had a few times where we were ticked off and we probably wanted to do something like this, right? I mean, like when the neighbor's dog barked all day long, or worse yet, all night long. Or when your boss gave you a raw deal, or where, like the guy in the drama, you feel like your company really did you wrong. Or maybe it was your brother-in-law, or maybe it was an ex, and I probably better stop. You get the idea. Some of you are going to get angry, even as I'm beginning to bring up those kinds of situations. You know, situations, and we're, we're, we're thinking, you know, somebody doesn't, um, somebody did me wrong, and I don't like that, and God ought to be doing something about that. And that's exactly the way some of the writers of the Psalms felt as well. They were angry, and they say, God, you need to judge them for what they've done to me. And they got pretty graphic, pretty detailed in what they described in ways they wanted to see people judge. So to go back to my situation, an imprecatory prayer might look something like this. God, I pray that that dog's teeth would all fall out, you know. Or, God, I pray that that dog would come in contact with a 400-pound cat. (laughs) Or, God, better yet, how about a giant alligator? (laughs) Something like that. That would be kind of an imprecatory prayer. Now, Hopefully at this point, I've sparked your curiosity for a little bit about what these are all about. And in fact, some of you may be thinking, you know, I've always been looking for a label to call those kind of prayers I wanted to pray when I was angry. Now I got it. Well, there are 150 Psalms that we have in our Bible. Ten of those are imprecatory prayers, or at least parts of chapters are imprecatory prayers, the ones where people are ticked off. Eight out of ten of those were written by King David of Israel. So you may be asking yourself the question, did David have anger issues? Yeah, he probably did a little bit. But when you understand the context in which many of them are written, I think it helps helps you appreciate why he was writing what he was writing a little bit better. For example, many of them are written in the context of his enemies chasing him for nothing he had done wrong. Before he had become king, he was the next anointed king, King Saul, who was king, saw him as a threat, so he sent everybody he could find out to kill David. And they not only chased David down when he had done nothing wrong, they did some unspeakable things to his family and to other people around him. Much of David's anger was righteous anger or justified anger when he wrote these imprecatory psalms. So I want us to look at one of these this morning, and I want to show you what one of them looks like. We'll spend quite a bit of time in one of them in particular, Psalm 69. And let me begin by showing you some context, what's going on in David's life. So I want to read you the first four verses of Psalm 69. Here's what it says. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. 
Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. David is hurting, isn't he? In fact, despair might be a better word. Now, we don't know all the circumstances surrounding why he wrote these particular words, but what we do know, because he tells us, is that his enemies were trying to destroy him. Remember, like we said, he was God's anointed. He was either the next king of Israel or perhaps he had already become king. We also know that he's being wrongly accused. He's being unjustifiably attacked. So, at this point, he decides to pray an imprecatory prayer. And it's going to get a little heated, okay? I'll just warn you. This is PG-13 stuff I'm about to read. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. Here we go. Let the bountiful table set before them become a snare and their prosperity become a trap. Talking about his enemies. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see. Make their bodies shake continually. Pour out your fury on them. Consume them in your burning anger. Let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. To the one you have punished, they add insult to injury. They add to, to the pain of those you have hurt. Pile their sins up high and don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. You get the idea now? <laughs> These things are sizzling at times. And David doesn't hold back at all. You know, it's like, hey, tell us how you're really feeling here, David. Now, one of your first questions might be, was David wrong to pray like this? And a follow-up question might be this. Is it okay for me to pray like this? Well, thanks for asking. Here are the answers. I don't know, and it depends, okay? <laughs> Seriously, was David wrong to pray like this? I don't know, but that's actually irrelevant because debating the morality of David's prayer isn't why God gave this, gave this psalm to us to begin with. Instead, it's here to show us what an authentic expression of emotion, even anger, looks like when you take it to God. Right or wrong, this is what he did. David had a very genuine, close relationship with God. So if he felt something, he took it to God. And he took it unfiltered. Was David right to feel anger about what his enemies were doing to him? Probably so. So he took it to God. Perhaps the more relevant question for us is this. Is it okay for me or for you to pray like this? Well, yes and no, okay? Can God handle it? Absolutely, obviously. Should we pray this kind of judgment for our enemies? Probably not. But better to share this with God than to spew it all over other people, right? You know, as a pastor, there are a number of times and situations where I have to be careful what I say and don't say. In other words, I have to use a filter when I speak. And that's why I love the fact that I can go to God with what I'm feeling and express that unfiltered. And that's why I think this psalm is included in our Bibles. It shows us that we can take what we're feeling to God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
Well, God answered David's imprecatory prayers? Probably not. At least not to the extent or the way that David is suggesting. You know, erase their names from the book of life? Really, David? But when you go to God, this tells us that we don't have to have the filter in place. We can tell God what we're thinking. We can tell him what we're feeling. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to act on it. But I also think it tells us that God can handle it. Let's face it. Life can be hard. And we will get hurt. We'll get hurt, but we're going to hurt some other people as well. But lashing out to other people usually just complicates our situation for us, right? And it rarely solves anything. But we can go to God, and when we do, not only can He handle it, but often He'll do something inside of us. Often we end up with a clearer perspective, or it diffuses that anger when we take it to God. Do you want to see one of the most unfiltered, raw, uncensored statements in the Bible? It's an imprecatory prayer. If, if what I read you from Psalm 69 was PG-13, this one may be R-rated. Um, so I'm going to give you a warning right now, okay? You can leave the room if you want to before I read it to you because it is the most shocking statement you may ever read in the Bible. I don't remember when the first time was that I read this statement, but I've never forgotten it. I remember kind of grimacing or wincing when I read it, and I remember thinking, can you say that? It's part of an imprecatory prayer. It's directed... Be- toward the nation of Babylon who had conquered Jerusalem. And when they conquered the people of Jerusalem, the Babylonians did unspeakable things to them. They tortured them, they mocked them, they humiliated. So I'm going to read the last part of this imprecatory prayer. It's just one verse. It's found in Psalm 137, and I think everybody stayed in the room, so you're ready for this, right? Here we go, it's verse 9. Here's what it says. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Wow, you can't say that, can you? That's horrible. Now, more than likely, what the writer is asking God to do is exactly what the Babylonians had done to them. What he's saying is God... They did this to us, so I want you to do this to them. Now, it's a horrible thing to say. And it's even more horrible to pray a prayer like that to God. But what this shows us is that the writer, the psalmist, took this to God raw, unfiltered, uncensored emotion. Now, how would God have reacted to this prayer? Well, clearly, I don't think he answered this prayer. But he also didn't just zap this writer, this psalmist, off the face of the earth either. I think God took a deep breath. He talked the psalmist down off of the ledge. And God may have added, I know you're hurting. I know you're angry and you have a right to be. But I'm a just God and I will make right all the wrongs in the world. It may not be in your timing or in your way, but trust my justice. One thing we need to consider though is this. When we're crying out to God for justice, 
Remember that a justice, that means a justice applies to us as well. Have you figured out that we all live by a double standard? Like when we're late and we're speeding down the road to get somewhere, our prayer is, God, please don't let there be a cop out here today. But if someone goes flying around us, driving too fast and cuts us off, our prayer is, God, where is a cop when I need one? Right? We all live by that double standard. And we've all sinned. And we've all done things that are offensive to a holy God. Yet, in terms of our relationship with God, we want mercy. Our response sometimes is, yeah, but I've never done anything that bad. I've never done anything like they've done. Well, that may or may not be true, but we all stand guilty before a holy and a just God. And that's why Jesus came into the world, so that all of us could receive mercy and grace when Jesus died to pay for our sins. So back to the imprecatory psalm. One of the values of a psalm like this is it tells us what we can take, what we're feeling to God and be real, even our anger. And it's so much better to take our anger to God, especially initially, than to spew it all out elsewhere and then have to deal with the consequences. So going back to Psalm 69, I find it fascinating that as you read, and this psalmist spews out this anger and this imprecatory prayer to God, he quickly turns a corner after telling God how he feels. Let me keep reading. This is verse 29. Here's what he says. I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with his horns and hooves. The humble will seek their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Praise him, O heaven and earth, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Jerusalem and rebuild towns of the towns of Judah. His people will live there and settle in their own land. The descendants of those who obey him will inherit the land, and those who love him will live there in safety. It's as if he's saying, God, I don't understand what's happening. I'm hurting. I'm angry. And it's not right but I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to worship you. So take it to God. Now, having said that, we all know there are times where we still have to deal with our anger towards others. It's not just our enemies we get angry with. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes it's our neighbors. Sometimes it's our coworkers. Sometimes it's our parents, our kids, our siblings, even our spouse. In fact, we often get mad more frequently and more quickly at our spouse than any other person because we live in such close proximity with them. So how do you handle your anger in those situations? Let me begin by doing this. Let me tell you what drives our anger because as we said earlier, anger is usually a secondary emotion. So we have to look below the surface. So what is behind anger? Let me give you several things that can be behind anger. The first one is this, fear. You say, fear? Yeah, we're afraid of what might happen. So we get angry. We can get angry with someone else. A second one is this, frustration. Things don't go our way um, or the way we want them to or someone rubs us the wrong way. So we get frustrated. A third one is this, insecurity. This can sometimes be hard to see because it can be so subtle. But if we sense that someone doesn't like us or we feel rejected, some of us lash out 
in anger. Another one could be pride. And a close cousin to pride is control. That could be another one. We feel like we have to control everything and everyone around us. If you are a controlling person, you probably deal with some anger. Finally, hurt. When we get hurt, sometimes we get angry. So it's really important to pay attention to our anger, what's happening below the surface. If you don't, you're going to end up hurting yourself and other people, perhaps significantly. And maybe even in some ways you're not aware of. So how do you handle your anger as you take it to God? Well, let me group, it in, let me group the biblical principles that tell us how to handle, handle our anger into three words. And here's what the words would be. Stop, look, and listen. First, stop. In other words, stop and ask yourself questions. How do I need to handle my anger? What would be an appropriate response? For example, Proverbs 13, 16 says this. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about their foolishness. You can become angry and still not act on your anger inappropriately if you stop. That's what the Bible even tells us to do in Ephesians 4.26. It says, it says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Becoming angry is not a sin. Acting out on it inappropriately or letting it control you can become a sin. Next, look. After you stop, look. Look below the surface. Ask yourself, why am I angry? What's driving my anger? Is there selfish stuff going on here? Is it fear, frustration, insecurity, pride, control issues? Is it hurt? If so, deal with the deeper emotion first and the anger will diffuse. Is your anger justified? Well, it may be, but even if you're justified in your anger, God still wants us all to respond appropriately. And you can always channel your anger in the right direction. For example, help those who are victims of injustice. Speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. You know, Hebrews 12.15 warns us, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. So look below the surface at what's driving your anger. Third thing is this. Listen. If you are talking to God about your anger, like we just read in the Psalms, these imprecatory psalms and you're telling God about it and you're praying about it ask God to help you work through it and to get through it ask God to show you if there's anything you need to address or change in your life ask God if there's a, some anger in you that needs to be channeled in the right direction and then stop look and just listen to God be quiet before God let him work in your life or let him work in your heart. For example, we read this in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Or listen may, need, may be what you need to do with the person you're angry with. Have you really taken the time to listen to them? Do you know why this conflict happened? Often when angry, we don't take time to listen to the other person. That's why James 1.19 tells us this. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Anger can be tricky. 
But anger is not something to let fester. If you do, it'll lead to results which won't be productive for you, for others, or for your relationship with God. So deal with it. But you can always take it to God. And that's the beauty of what we learn from the Psalms.